0: For more information about our church, please visit www.southwidebaptist.com. Now let's join Pastor Jeremy for today's message.
1: Well, if you have a copy of God's Word, let me invite you to turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 as we continue our series a house divided i've shared this verse with you again and again but it is perhaps the central uh, passage on church unity and what we're called to be based on what Jesus has done ephesians chapter 4 says there is one body and one spirit just as you are called to the one hope that belongs to your call one lord one faith One baptism, one God and father of all who is over all and through all and in all. And so therefore, Paul argues that we should be eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. So two things that we're going to keep emphasizing over and over again. The church has been united to Christ, and so therefore the church must be united in Christ. The church has been united to Christ, and so therefore the church must be united in Christ. The question that you should ask is, why then do so many churches seem so divided? Or why is it that a church that is so united around the cause of Christ can so quickly become divided? Stephen Covey, one of the greatest leadership minds of our day, is famous for this saying, the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. How many of you have heard that statement before? Almost all of us. The main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. So he knew as a leader that it was not going to be easy to keep the main thing the main thing. In fact, it was very easy to become distracted from an organization's purpose for being what it is that they're good at. In order to be an effective leader, then if the organization is going to be effective, if personally he was going to be effective, it was critical that they have a laser sharp focus on what matters the most, the main thing. There are many issues that divide us in the church. Sadly, most of those issues don't matter nearly as much as we make them out to matter. Their secondary and tertiary kinds of issues, lesser things, you could put them in that category. We need to hear again and again the importance of the main thing in the local church. The church becomes most divided when we elevate lesser things to the importance of the main thing. Let me say that to you again. The church becomes the most divided When we elevate lesser things to the importance of the main thing. You see, what Covey discovered is in business also true of the local church in ministry. That the church has to remain laser focused on keeping the main thing the main thing. And even as much as it's easy to get distracted in business, It is just as easy, if not easier, to become distracted in the church and caught up with peripheral matters to get caught up in culture wars or consumed with politics. And what happens is the church gets distracted and loses sight of her main purpose. The one thing that unites us more than anything else, the main thing that becomes secondary And we fail to keep the main thing, the main thing. And as a result, we end up fragmented in every sort of direction. So then what is the main thing in the church? What is the thing in the church that above all else should have our focus and not just have it, but literally consume it? Well, if you found your place. Let me invite you to stand with me in honor of the reading of God's word as we look to God's word to determine what the main thing is. First Corinthians chapter two, verse one, Paul writes, and I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, Father, I pray this morning that that would be true here among us. As much as we love to be learners and as much as we love to come to new knowledge, I pray that it would not be this morning a gathering where we learn plausible words in human eloquence and wisdom. But this morning, I pray, would be an evidence of the power of God among us. That you, God, would speak through the preaching of your word. And that as we keep the main thing, the main thing this morning, that you would unleash your power in hearts today to change lives, to restore what is broken, to heal wounds. I pray that you would grant recovery to the, to the blind, even as your word says, spiritually. And today that we would be renewed in you. I pray that there's one here this morning who's never come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior, that today the preaching of the cross would convict the lost and that today they would be saved. Lord, would you be honored here? We pray in Jesus name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. So one of the main points of division in the church at Corinth, that's the church that this letter is written to, one of the main points of division Was the issue of status or position. Now most churches don't fight over position or status or any of those kinds of things. But the church at Corinth, they did. There were disagreements among them over all sorts of different things. But they were more concerned about proving their case over particular issues or positions than they were about being united in the same mind and the same judgment. They were more concerned about who they were following and what leader was in charge than they were over Christ being in charge and his word being the governing authority of the church. They were more concerned about dividing into camps and making sure that the other one didn't win than they were about submitting to their head, who is Christ and protecting unity in him. It's more about how smart they were, what camp they were in and what leader they were following. And so this is why Paul goes to work reminding them that none of them bear the name of any earthly leader. Ultimately, they all bear the name of Jesus Christ. And he reminds them that their arguments over who is right and who is wrong, all these arguments that are built on human wisdom, those things will avail them nothing And what actually happens is instead of receiving power in the church, they empty the cross of its power and they don't experience the power of God among them. Why? Because they're depending on human wisdom rather than the power of God. The power of God is experienced through the preaching of the cross. And we saw that last week. These people were not the wisest, the ones that were chosen here we not the wisest. They were not the most powerful. They didn't have the most influence. They didn't have the highest social status in all of Corinth. And yet they were the ones God chose in order that as they came to faith in Christ, that they would boast not in themselves, but ultimately in the one who saved them. That's the picture. So what Paul does here in chapter two is he continues that same line of reasoning. The same kind of thought, except here he takes it back to their foundation. Remember, Paul has been out of the church at Corinth for close to two years now. Or rather, has, he's removed from the starting of the church at Corinth for close to two years now. He's been out probably for six months or so at this point, And he's writing back to them because he's heard this news of their division. So he again appeals to their foundation, the beginning the early days at the church at Corinth. In a sense, he's kind of unpacking what he said in verse 17 of chapter one. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. The sending, the early days of preaching the gospel. When he says that they were not with eloquent wisdom, lest the cross be, the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. He's dealt with the issue of human wisdom versus godly wisdom from a kind of a 30,000 foot view. But here he plays back the tape. He wants to remind them of some of the memories, some of the things that took place when they first came to faith in Jesus. And when God was birthing a church there at Corinth, the very foundational level of their faith. This is the second time that Paul addresses them in more of a personal manner. Verse 10, he said, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree. Anytime you see kind of this personal kind of tone, there is this intimate kind of call, this plea from the Apostle Paul. It happens again here in our passage this morning in verse one, when he says, when I came to you, brothers. He's recalling the early days of when they met one another. Some of them, for the very first time, meeting the Apostle Paul, when they came to know Jesus together, there were scores of people coming to faith in Christ and being baptized and being joined to this body. Those early days when they grew together and they were eating every bite of the word of God as it was being taught from the Apostle Paul, as they grew in their faith and grew in their love for one another, all of these ministries sparking up because all of these needs being met and and Jesus being made much of. And it was it was a revival type setting there at Corinth. But now how quickly they turned to human wisdom, what they experienced together was being emptied Daily. Holy Spirit of God had been a work among them, but today, the church at Corinth, they were more dependent on human flesh than they were the Spirit of the living God. And Paul says, I want you to remember where you were. He says, at Corinth, you kept the main thing, the main thing. That's why I came. I wanted you to hear the main thing. It's one driving thing that establishes us as a church and you got to be rooted there and you got to live there and it's got to stay there. What is the main thing? Paul says it this way. Verse 2. When I came to you, brothers, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. Here it is. Verse 2. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. That's the main thing. It's the main thing. Paul is not interested in playing their games of projecting some image of being spiritually elite. By the way, in the kingdom of God, there is no place for spiritual elitism. Paul says, I denounce all of that and I want you to know that there is nothing I value more. There's nothing more important in the church. There's nothing more important to say, to proclaim, to believe, to to tout across the land than Jesus Christ and him crucified. That is why the church exists. That is the main thing put it into a sentence for you, the main purpose of the local church is to know and to make known the person and the work of Jesus Christ. The main purpose of the local church is to know and to make known the person and work of Jesus Christ. We exist for nothing more, nothing less. This is who we are. So see it there in verse two. Paul said, I decided to know. He himself to know nothing else; his one sole purpose, meaning that he knew it and he wanted the church at Corinth to know it, and all that the church at Corinth encountered, to know and to make known among them and around them what Jesus Christ, the person, the character, who he was, and him crucified, his. Action, his work on the cross. This is what Paul desired to make known at Corinth, and this is why Corinth now exists. It's why Southwide exists. We exist to know and to make known the person of Christ and the work of Christ. This, this is how we say it around here. We exist to boldly proclaim the word of Jesus Christ. Thereby leading people to worship God authentically, connect in biblical community, grow in Christian maturity and multiply disciples and churches both locally and globally. In other words, to know Christ and to make him known. And we must, without any shadow of doubt, keep The main thing, the main thing. We must be laser focused about what we do, because if we lose sight of the main things, all the main thing, all the other things that don't matter quite as much will fill the gaps. And we will begin to drift from the main thing and ultimately divide from one another. And that's what's happening at the church at Corinth. Anytime the church loses sight of the gospel, the church becomes divided. It's not that the other things don't matter. There's many things that we do and that we talk about in the church that we argue for even and argue over sometimes that matter. It's not that they don't matter at all. It's that they submit their value and their worth to the main thing. Paul, when he says it's. It was my desire to know nothing among you but Jesus Christ. It doesn't mean that he didn't teach anything else. It means that everything that he taught flowed from the cross of Jesus. Everything flowed from the gospel. Every other issue of life. And he's going to talk about a lot. Marriage. He's going to talk about giving. He's going to talk about teaching. He's going to talk about sexuality. He's going to be talking about a whole lot of different things that were dividing the church at Corinth. But at the end of the day, they matter in as much as they find their value and their authority in the main thing, the gospel of Christ. In fact, if you read the rest of the letter, which I would encourage you to do several times as we walk through this, you'll have plenty of time. But from the from the second chapter, really the first chapter, but the second chapter to chapter 15, Paul kind of put puts bookends. And sandwiches all the, the moral practical, practical concerns in the middle. But notice how he closes the book almost. Chapter 16 gives some, some teaching on giving. But chapter 15 he says, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, praise God. If you hold fast to the word I preach to you, unless you believed in vain and listen to verse three, for I delivered to you as of first importance. Everybody say first importance. Yeah, the gospel is of first importance. What I also received that Christ died for our sins, according with the scriptures, that he was buried and that he raised on the he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. The gospel is of first importance who Jesus is and was and what he has done for us on the cross and every single other area of the Christian life. Really, every single area of all of life finds its hope, finds its instruction, finds its worth, finds truth in the gospel. I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. So in order for Jesus, in order for Jesus Christ as a person And his work on the cross to remain of first importance in our life as a church. It may very well mean reprioritizing the way we do ministry. We don't measure the decisions that we make as a church on what fits best with the church growth movement. We don't measure what we do as a church by what other popular churches are doing. Or what seems to be the most inviting or what seems to be this or that. Those things can be helpful. But our measure as a church is how faithful are we to the gospel? It also means... That if we are going to do this together, which, by the way, could be the if you want to put one word on all of first Corinthians, it would be together. Right. We we want to take the positive side of division. We want to be together. We want to be in unity. Right. It means if we're going to do that in obedience to the scripture, it means not only does the church have to reconsider its priorities, keeping the main thing, the main thing. But. All of us as individuals have to reconsider our priorities. Keeping the main thing, the main thing. Because if you're not keeping the main thing, the main thing, then we're not keeping the main thing, the main thing. You see what I'm saying? And the fact is that so many churches end up in division because personal priorities get out of whack. And church priorities then get out of whack as a result. And we get off sidetracked on bunches of things that don't matter very much. When in reality, we do that at the neglect of the one thing that really does matter. So how do we do that? How do we keep the gospel at the very front? Well, Paul unpacks this in three different ways and he shows us three different things about our togetherness. They all begin with together because that's the goal, right? We have to see some things. We have to understand some things about what it means to keep Jesus first. And the first one is this. Together, we need the person and work of Jesus. It's the first thing we got to come to grips with. The fact that Jesus is not just a good addition to our life. Like being a good American requires that you wear red, white and blue and that you sing patriotic songs and that you do your duty to vote and all of those things. Like there's all these checkboxes of what it means to be a good American, right? Sometimes we approach Christianity that way, like God is one more checkbox. Jesus is one more checkbox to a well-rounded life. That's not Christianity. Christianity. Christianity is coming to the point that you realize that not only is Jesus a good addition to your life, but without him, we are nothing. We desperately need him. And in the church, this battle in Corinth of spiritual elitism, Paul comes to the to the top of that battle and where Paul has every opportunity to make the claim of being elite Knowing the law, being a Hebrew of Hebrews, being a a Pharisee, knowing all of these things and and serving with zeal and now planning churches. Right. I mean, this is like if you're going to be anybody in the Bible, you want to be the Apostle Paul. But that's not how he begins. Paul actually reduces himself over and over all throughout the first chapter. But notice it here in chapter two. He says, I didn't come proclaiming. To you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. I didn't come as an elite. Then he says the statement for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And then he reminds them in verse three. I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. Weakness being a word that probably means illness. Paul definitely faced that. But this weakness of his flesh and fear, kind of this holy awe of God, recognizing that he himself is in need of God as much as the people that he's preaching to. Trembling before the Lord, knowing that he deserved only God's judgment. And we must come to the reality that we do not just want Jesus, but we need Jesus. We need Him. The pastor that stands before you every week is as much in need of Jesus as you are. Those that you look up to in the faith are as much in need of Jesus as you are. The fact is that we are together at the foot of the cross. All of us. Stand before a holy God as sinners. Not just lives that have made a a few wrong turns, but lives that are utterly broken. We have made choices that place us at enmity with God. We are by nature His enemies. We are by nature on a road to destruction without any hope and even if even if we by nature could understand the hope that god offers us we would still turn to our own way were it not for the grace of god like a dog returning to its own vomit we would go to our own our own destruction over and over and over again we are hopeless and in need of rescue and what jesus has done is he came And died in our place in order that our sins might be forgiven. In order that God's wrath against me that should have been poured out on me would be poured out on Jesus. And I would be forgiven of my sins and invited to come and trust in that, believe in that, rely upon that for my salvation. And so this is the gospel and I need Jesus. And not only that, but he comes to me. He died for me. He comes to me and calls me to himself. And I respond in repentance of my sin and faith toward God. This is what it means to be saved. I think if we're honest. As we look at the world around us, we would see the depth of our devastation. The depth of the human condition. This is why Paul comes with great humility to the people at Corinth. He knows apart from the grace of God, he would be in a place that is far from God. It's only by God's grace. As we think about the world around us and as I think about my own salvation, it's only by the grace of God that I stand before you today. It's only by the grace of God that you're here. Just this past week, thinking about all the lives that were lost and the tally going up in Turkey. And any one of us could have been born in Turkey without quick access to the gospel. And there are people in Turkey who are dying without Christ. We live in a broken world. We live in a town where there's tragedy that strikes every day. We all face the death of loved ones and the loss Their death entering the world through sin. We all experience the rela- relational brokenness that's not just present in our church at times, but also in our families and in the world around us. We all experience kind of this broken world. Like all you had to do was watch the State of the Union address this week, right? Any, anybody watch it? Was I the only victim? Um It's brutal. The highest office of our land arguing for the killing of the unborn. We live in a broken nation. And the sad, tragic reality is that brokenness is not just around us. It is within us by nature. We are such in need of rescue. We need Jesus. Unity then within the church deals... With these status claims, because none of us are more elite than another. All of us are equally in need. And when we come to the place that we realize how much we individually need Jesus, it's really hard for us to see ourselves as higher than anyone else. It's really hard for us to not forgive, isn't it? It's really hard for us to lack in mercy. It's really hard for us not to help and to rescue those who are in need because we see how much we need Jesus. This is why the cross must remain central, the main thing. Together we need the person and work of Jesus. Not only do we need Him, we must together know the person and work of Jesus. We must know it. That's what Paul argues here. He said, I came to you, was not interested in hearing, <laughs> good sermon preacher, wasn't interested in hearing, man, I'll never forget that message. He wasn't interested in hearing, man, you really explained that well. That was cool. I never knew that before. Nothing wrong necessarily with saying those things, but that was not Paul's interest. Paul's interest was, man, we met with God today. That was his goal. The church, listen to me, the church that meets with God has a really hard time being divided. Together, we must know, know the person and work of Christ. He says, I decided to know nothing among you nothing in my mind, nothing I'm going to concentrate on more, nothing in my teaching that is far from the cross. We're going to stick close to Jesus Christ and him crucified. What was his plan? He did so, verse number five, so that and this is first and foremost above everything else. He did so, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. First off. It requires faith to be a Christian. You need to know this. You can't just, you can't just add up all these things or do all of these practices or explain all of these things or memorize all of these things in order to be a Christian. It is faith and faith alone. For by grace you've been saved through faith, that of, not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. We are not saved through anything that we can do. We must put our faith in Jesus. Which means we turn from our sin, And we trust in Christ and Christ alone. But Paul was jealous that that faith not be in a man, but be in God. And this is huge. Many people who are walking around claiming to be Christians have faith in some pastor that led them to believe some things one day and all their faith rests in that until that pastor fails or until that pastor's gone and all of a sudden their faith is gone. My God never fails. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today and forever. In order for our faith to be secure, our faith must not be in a church. It must not be in our parents. It must not be in a pastor. It must not be in any leader. Our faith must be in Jesus. And when our faith is in Jesus, it never has any reason to fail. And so he wants their faith to be resting. I love that word to rest. As if it's no struggle, as if it finds a firm foundation in Christ. But it's not just a faith that's a one time belief. It's a continuing, deepening faith. We're going to read on in chapter two and so forth as Paul describes what it means to mature in Christ and to gain a deeper understanding, the Spirit of God searching out the deep things of God. We have a deepening knowledge of Christ as Christians, and that was that was Paul's goal. That your knowledge of Jesus deepen over time. I love what Paul says in Philippians chapter three. Indeed I count everything as lost. By the way, a person who knew the law, who knew the scriptures And he says, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, not as knowledge of the scriptures, but boasting in that knowledge. He says, for his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, as garbage in order that I may gain Christ. And be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own, he say emptied of self, entirely emptied of self. That righteousness that comes from the law, but rather that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. There's that faith word again. And then he says in verse 10 that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. That by any means possible I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. See Paul says I'm not there yet. But I want to know Jesus more. I want to know him. I want to know what it means to follow him. I want to see what it means for the cross to be worked out in my life. What it means to die every single day to self. And to to gain this righteousness of Jesus. Not just in in its application to my life so that I can be forgiven, but in its working out in my life so that, that this righteousness of Jesus that is mine for eternity is now worked out in good works in my life. Paul says, I, I want to know that I'm not already perfect, but I press on. The gospel has a way of broadening itself in application in our life, how we understand morality, how we're dying to self every day and living to Christ, now our moral code is no longer what we think is right, what we feel is right, but what God says is right it changes because we're dead to self. It impacts how we understand our rights, oftentimes laying aside what is okay and permissible to do because we do not have any rights necessarily that are that are our own any longer. Those are crucified and surrendered to Jesus. We in America want to claim our bill of rights. And there are some things that God has given us. But at the end of the day, we don't come claiming and arguing for our rights as children of God. We come open handed. We come bowed before the king, offering up all of our lives to him and surrendering everything that he commands us to do. It's a different perspective he deals with lawsuits he deals with marriage you want to get you want to get some sanctification going in your life you figure out how the cross applies to your marriage i guarantee you it'll change you overnight what god has done forgiveness i mean there's so many so many reasons why the the cross just begins to broaden the application. Some would say, well, I got saved by trusting in Jesus, but now I've got to figure out all the things he wants me to do. No, you get saved by trusting in Jesus and Jesus by way of the cross changes you into all the things that he desires you to be. The more we fully love and forgive as Christ has forgiven us, the more we see unity within The local church, we must know the person and work of Christ. It's the third thing here. Together, we must proclaim the person and work of Jesus. We must proclaim it. We cannot ignore the reality that when Paul came to Corinth, they were not Christians. Most of them, there were few. We can't ignore the reality that there was no church. When Paul said, I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. He is doing that among unbelievers and new believers. People who have not yet trusted in Jesus and those who are new in their faith. Who are just simply growing and and learning what it means to be a Christian still. We can't ignore the reality of evangelism in the text. And in the same way, now Corinth is sending out other believers who are doing the same thing. Paul is set an example here of evangelism. He says, stop fighting with one another. Stop arguing for who's better than the other and start giving the gospel to a lost world. That's what he's saying. I determined to know nothing among you but Jesus Christ and him crucified. Now, you know nothing among the world but Jesus Christ and him crucified. If the church is going to be effective for the gospel, it will not be accomplished because of our winsomeness. It will not be accomplished because of a charismatic personality in the pulpit. It will not be accomplished because we have the best children or youth programs. It won't be because we have the coolest worship space or the most powerful music Or the best programs. At the end of the day, those things are tools. And they're tools that can be used. But they are not the main thing. The main thing is and always will be the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Most commentators, when they consider chapter 2, see an echo from Zechariah chapter 4 in Paul's words. He would have been well familiar with the prophet Zechariah foretold the coming of a new kingdom. This is after the fall of Israel and their return and the building of the temple. Zechariah is telling of a new kingdom and a new king that is coming, all pointing to Jesus, soon to be the salvation of God made full in Christ. And here in chapter four of Zechariah, there's a vision, the whole of God's redemptive work and a message from Zechariah to Zerubbabel, the governor of Judah. The governor who, by the way, was responsible for laying the foundation of the temple. And Zechariah chapter four says, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. That's what Paul is saying to the church. Not through my power, my eloquence but through the power of the preaching of the cross. Paul recognized this. The church will not be known by its might. It will not be known by its size, its power, its programs, its buildings. The church will be known by the presence of the Spirit of the living God and the preaching of the gospel. This is how we experience God's power. And when that happens, there is an unexplainable urgency that rises out of the hearts of believers to take the gospel to the nations. And when our eyes are set upon the gospel and seeing the lost come to faith in Christ, we have very little time to fight with one another. We are united around the same thing. Because it's our deepest desire for everyone in our town to come to know Jesus. It's our deepest desire for everyone in our family to come to know Jesus. And for everyone in the state of Florida to come to know Jesus. And we work. We work as if Jesus is coming back tomorrow. When we trust that God by His Spirit will take the word preached. And will apply it to the hearts of people. And they will turn and trust in Jesus. Because He is the only hope. Do you believe that, church? Do you believe that Jesus is the hope of all the world? That we need Him? That in Him we must come to know Him more and more every day and that He is the one who's changing our lives? You see, there is no conversation outside of Jesus Christ and Him crucified. He is the heart of every single conversation. Countless times I've had the opportunity to share Jesus with people who do not yet know him. And oftentimes those conversations will turn to many different other things. And many things that I enjoy college football, technology, other things. But can I say to you this morning that no conversation matters as much as talking about Jesus. Nothing matters more. If you are here this morning and you are without Christ. There's only one conversation we need to have. Nothing else has worth or merit apart from that. You've got to get that right. Right. Otherwise, it all burns up in eternity. Today, we want you to know Jesus. And church, we want to be about that message with everything that we are. So today, do you know Christ? And are you making Christ known? With every head bowed and every eye closed. We want to invite you to come and know Jesus today turning from your sin and putting your faith and trust in Jesus and Jesus alone. Today, you would be honest and you would say, Pastor, I know that I'm a sinner separated from God. I am far from God today and I need him in my life. The good news of the gospel is that Jesus has come to your rescue. And today, if you would turn away from what has devastated your life, the thing called sin, your disobedience to God, Today, if you would turn from that and turn to Christ and Christ alone, he will save you. He will save you. You rest in his completed work on the cross for you. And today, the Bible says all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. So in just a few moments, I want to invite you to do just that. Maybe even in the quietness of where you're standing. You've never trusted in Jesus as Lord and Savior of your life. Today, you're right there where you're sitting, where you'll be standing, you cry out to God. God saved me today. I trust your son. I trust him today. I want to follow Jesus. And the Bible says that the. The Lord hears the sinner's prayer. Today, if you'll cry out to him. And in just a few moments when we stand, then I want to encourage you to step out of the place where you're standing. Come down to this altar. Say to me today, Pastor, I've come to know Jesus. Or today, will you lead me to follow Jesus and I'll lead you. But today is the day you must respond in faith. Others of us in this room, we we got to make Jesus the main thing. Not a sideshow. He's the main thing. And today you need to reprioritize your life. Today as a church, you're a leader in some area. We got to prioritize Jesus in our church Pray for that end. Commit your life toward that end and God will bless it. So in just a few moments, when we come, this altar is open. When we stand, you come. Would you stand with me all across the room? Father, we pray now. That the main thing would be the main thing. That Jesus would be all in all here in this place and in our hearts. And we would respond in obedience to your call today and that you would be glorified. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. You come this morning.
0: You've been listening to the Southwide Baptist Church Podcast with Pastor Jeremy Lewis. For more information about our church, please visit www.southwidebaptist.com. We also invite you to connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram by searching for Southwide BC. Thank you for listening, and may you continue to worship, connect, grow, and multiply as you follow Jesus Christ.